Hey everyone, it is so good to be here with you today and it's such an honor to to get to share at this amazing church and to be a part of this series that you're all in about wisdom. If there's one thing that we all need right now, it's wisdom, how to know the heart of God, how to discern these difficult times in which we live. And today I wanna talk about the wisdom that's found in a life of contentment. Now, the book of Proverbs that you've been studying has a ton to say about contentment. In fact, let me just share with you a few verses, a few examples. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse eight, it says, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse six, it says, better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. And in Proverbs 19, verse 23, it says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. So the author of Proverbs here says, the way to find more joy in life isn't about how much you have or how much you don't have, it's all a posture of the heart. You know, earlier this morning, I came across this article in the Washington Post, and they said that Americans are the most unhappy that they've been in a generation. Of course, there's a ton of things that are fueling that right now, But one thing that chronically we're all seeing in our heart is a lack of contentment. And we're discovering that the answer isn't in a political party or a person or a structure or a healthy economy. Those things can help, but really the true core issue of contentment is a posture of our soul, what's happening inside our heart. And Proverbs tells us there is a way, even though we live in a turbulent world, COVID-19 and wildfires throughout the Western states and all the chaos that's surrounding us right now, there is still a way to live a life that's rooted in the peace and the shalom, the contentment that the Lord offers to us. So that's what I wanna talk to you today about. Now, when you go to the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament had a ton to say about this as well. And I think probably the most famous passage of all has to be the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four. He said, I have learned the secret of contentment. I've learned to be content, he said, whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, when Paul wrote these words, he wasn't sipping on a latte in the Bahamas. He was in prison. Caesar Nero was on the throne at that time. Uh, Paul was just basically waiting for his execution. And it's so fascinating to me that in that environment, in that context where he's literally in chains, he's literally on death row, and yet it's there that he writes and says, I have learned the secret of being content. What is the secret of contentment? You know, the Greek word for contentment, it's this ancient idea that goes all the way back to Stoic philosophy, which by the way, Stoic philosophy is kind of making a resurgence now in our own age. But, but the word contentment that they used was autocrase in the original language. And it was a word that was used to advocate self-sufficiency. 
Uh, the Stoics, they said, we need to stand up courageously against the meaninglessness of the world, that you have what it takes inside of you in order to live a happy life. So you think, for example, of Marcus Aurelius. That was his whole message. In one of his books, he said, if you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it. And this you have the power to revoke at any moment. That's a really fascinating quote. I think it kind of sounds like something you'd see in the self-help section of Barnes and Noble or maybe a, a Netflix kind of mini series and self-help. He's basically saying you have the power to create your own reality. You have the resources for your own happiness. Now, I point that out because what Paul is doing here is taking that whole philosophy and he's turning it on his head. He uses the same Greek word that was used by Marcus Aurelius and all these Greek philosophers, but his approach to contentment was entirely different. Rather than arguing for a form of contentment that was rooted in the self, look to yourself, believe in yourself, you be you, rely on yourself, whatever, Paul says, no, the secret to contentment isn't finding it within yourself, it's finding it in Jesus. In other words, while the Stoics, they advocated for an independence from others, just you can stand up courageously alone. Paul is advocating for a radical dependence on Jesus. He is saying Jesus is the source of contentment. Now, consider that point because we're gonna come back to it in just a few minutes. Paul says, I have found something so beautiful and so precious. It has radically changed how I see life and how I do life. I have found the secret of contentment. Now, here's a thought experiment. Let's say that you just won a prize to your dream location, Bahamas maybe, or Maui, and you get to go there and it's a luxurious vacation that's awaiting you. Fly first class, you get out of the plane, there's an Audi waiting for you to whisk you off to the resort. You're gonna stay at this five-star incredible place right on the beach. You're gonna have access to the best entertainment and the best restaurants. They're gonna fly in the best chefs from all around the world, but there's one catch. And the catch is, during those two weeks, you're gonna be absolutely miserable. You're gonna be just chronically depressed and anxious and just inwardly just full of angst. You, you can't wait till the two weeks is over. So that's option one. You get to go to the place of your dreams, complete luxury, but you're also gonna be really discontent inwardly. Option two, you get a two-week trip to a Siberian prison. It's gonna be cold, miserable, uh, hardly any food. You're gonna have this threadbare blanket to cover you at night. You have to wear a mask, all of that. Two weeks in Siberia. But the catch is you're gonna be so happy. You're gonna be so content. You'll look back at that period of your life and you'll say, that was the most beautiful experience of my life. I discovered contentment in that time. I had the joy of the Lord in that time. So here's the question. If you had to choose between those two things, Two weeks in Maui, dream vacation, but you're miserable, or two weeks in Siberia, it's horrible, but you, you've never been so happy, you've never been so alive. Which option would you choose? Now you might be like, well, that, that's easy, just give me Maui any day. But I think most of us, when we actually think about it, we'd say, you know, 
What I really am longing for, what I'm really desiring, is not more stuff, not more vacations, not more resorts, not a life of ease. What the true me, my soul, is longing for is the secret of contentment. There is something in us that yearns for this. There's something in us that when we read these verses in Proverbs about contentment or we read Paul in prison, languishing, waiting for his death, and yet he says, I have learned the secret of contentment. There's something in our heart that comes alive because we're like, I wanna be in on that. I wanna experience what Paul is talking about here. Now, why is that? What is it in us that longs for contentment? I would argue this actually goes back to the very beginning in Genesis. You you know the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made the sky and he said, it is good. He made Mount Hood and he said, it is good. He made Cedar Mill and he said, it is very good. And then he made the pinnacle of his creation, golden doodles. He said, it is very, very good. Good. God made the world in six days. It is good, it is good, it is good. And it's really interesting to me because then he created man, Adam. He took one look at him and he said, it is not good. <laughs> it's not good for man to be alone. He said, I can do better than that. And that's when he made Eve. That's when he made the first woman. But God created male and female to live in radical intimacy with him. They were placed in a garden. They ate off the land. They enjoyed each other's company. They dreamed, they explored, they rested. They loved their creator. It's just this beautiful picture that's sad to say only lasted for about a chapter or so. But God created us with a deep longing, a deep resonance with this idea of contentment. God designed us to live life this way. So deep down, What I'm longing for, what you're longing for, the the wisdom that we all need right now is not more buildings or gadgets or stuff or money. The truest you is longing to experience the reality of these words, I have found the secret of contentment. Which, by the way, that's a really fascinating phrase, isn't it? Why would Paul say, I have found the secret of contentment? Why, Why is it called the secret? Well, it's not so much that Paul is saying, look, I've discovered something that no one else can find. I think it's called a secret because we live in a world that is chronically discontent. We live in a world where we're constantly being pitched the latest product or image. We're incessantly being reminded that we don't measure up, that we always need more. We're guinea pigs in an advertising industry that feeds off our discontent, that makes money off our discontent. And here's the irony though is that when it comes to material wealth, we have more than any other nation in the history of the world. We are so blessed right now. We have so much right now. And yet never have we been so discontent. Like I said, that Washington Post article that said we are the most miserable that we've ever been. Time Magazine, they said something similar. A recent poll, they said only 33% of Americans say that they're happy and content right now. So that's two-thirds of us that say, yeah, this is something that I struggle with. The author Drew Davis, he said, we are surrounded by discontent people. Every minute of every day, it is possible to see evidence of this restless discontentment in the way people respond to circumstances. People show their discontent while driving, it's true, because the traffic is too slow or perhaps because the weather is too hot. That's definitely true today. Too rainy or too humid 
or in their jobs, people aren't making enough money or receiving enough credit for the hard work they're putting in, or they can't stand their coworkers. People feel deeply disappointed with their marriage or how their children are turning out. Their bodies are too fat or not beautiful enough. Mired in their discontent, people often buy things they don't really need to improve their outlook on life. Man, if ever there was a diagnosis that was so spot on for our culture, where many of us are at right now, where we struggle, that's it. And it's like we've been fed this lie that if we just get enough stuff or the right political party in power, or if we just figure out how we can get more resources, then we'll be happy. And, and that's not true. Paul says, I have found the secret of contentment when he was in the most miserable, difficult circumstances. So contentment is deeper than external. It has something to do with the posture of the heart. You know, there's a website I came across called happier.com. It's an interesting website. The whole premise of it is if you follow these steps, if you do these things, then you can live a happy and content life. And one of the first articles I saw in there, it said how to be happy, five steps that you need to take. So I click on it, I'm like, yeah, I wanna be happy. And, and this is what it said. Step one, be in possession of all the basics, food, shelter, health, safety, etc. Step two, get enough sleep. Step three, have relationships that matter. Step four, take care of yourself. Step five, have work that really interests you. And the whole premise of this article was if you just do these things, if you have these external factors in place, then you can live a content and happy life. And I was reading it, and at first I'm like, yeah, that's really compelling. And then it dawned on me, I'm like, well, that's not a reality for most people in the world right now. 736 million people in the world live on less than $1.90 per day. Three billion people in our world live on less than 250 per day. And since COVID, those numbers are only going up. So if the metric of happiness is having favorable circumstances, then what culture says or happier.com says is that 50% of the world, not only are they not happy, they actually don't have the possibility of finding happiness because they don't have enough. And yet we all know intuitively that isn't true. Some of the happiest, deepest, most wise people you'll ever meet live in circumstances that are extremely difficult and challenging and hard. It's possible to find contentment even in heartache, even in difficulty, even in pain, even in moments like this that we're living in in 2021, it is possible for our inner life to flourish even when everything around us is falling apart. You know, for years, I used to be a missionary in a place called Vanuatu. Vanuatu's in the South Pacific. They speak a language there called um, Bislama. And Bislama is like this extremely descriptive language. Um, for example, uh, the word slingshot, they use that word all the time, by the way, because they didn't have Walmart there. Uh, if you want food, you have to go out into the jungle and you have to go find it yourself. And so I, I lived there for several years in a hut and you get these little slingshots and they called slingshot in Bislama, elastic blong shootem pigeon. <laughs> That's the word slingshot. Or perhaps my favorite word is piano. You guys have a piano around here somewhere. The word piano is himi one box where he got white teeth blong him, mo he got black teeth blong him, mo suppose you kill him teeth blong him, him he sing out long you. That's the word piano. <laughs> so you can imagine I was a teacher there uh, teaching through parts of the Bible and you come across a word like propitiation. It would take like six months to try and describe. But what really stood out to me from that time in which I lived there 
is that there's no electricity, no running water. You have a slingshot to get your food. But I've never met people so happy, so full of joy, so content. I remember one day the church that was supporting us, they sent us a laptop and I was so excited to show them this. But I'm like, oh, we actually don't have any electricity for it. So we had to get a hold of a generator and have that sent over. And it was like this big ceremony. We got all these students together. Uh, they're, they're in college and learning the Bible. And I thought they'd be really excited to see a laptop because there was no technology like that at the time. And so we turned on the laptop, we brought everyone around and we, you know, it was this old Windows thing so it took like 30 minutes to boot up but it finally did and we start showing them some things that it could do, open up a Word document or whatever and I look at their faces and I thought they'd be blown away by this amazing technology. Instead, they just thought it was really dumb. One guy raised his hand, he said, can you hunt with it? I'm like, no. Another guy said, can you fish with it? I'm like, no. Another guy said, can you cook with it? I'm like, no. And and they said, well, what good is it? (laughs) See, they had lived this life, living off the land, living in simplicity, and all these things that I thought were so impressive, they're like, hey, if you can't hum with it, fish with it, or cook with it, there's no point, really. I have learned, Paul says, the secret of being content. How can we discover that secret? How can our souls flourish even when we're going through tough times? How can we learn this wisdom that the book of Proverbs offers to us? Well, before we go, I just wanna share three simple thoughts on this. Simple, and yet if we put them into practice, I really believe it can change our life. And the first one, so basic, and yet for me at least, it's one of the hardest things ever to do. You wanna learn the secret of being content? Practice gratitude practice gratitude in the book of Philippians 4 before he talked about contentment Paul said rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice notice he says again I say rejoice because there's something in us that will forget the good things that God has given to us so there's an intentional choice a decision that we have to make to understand and give thanks to God for the good things that he's given to us contentment is the awareness that every moment is a gift of God the breath in your lungs the heart that's beating in your chest time with family and friends the smell of a good cup of coffee It's the awareness that even in those small things, the grace of God is there. The presence of God is there. Contentment recognizes the goodness of God in all of life. And the Bible teaches us that when we choose gratitude, it actually reorients our perspective. When we choose gratitude, it actually diminishes anxiety. It causes contentment to grow. In fact, this is true scientifically. It's fascinating how science often catches up to what the Bible teaches us. And you know that science now, there's been this whole field of research on gratitude. And over the last few years, they've discovered that gratitude produces an emotional energy that actually creates new neural pathways in your brain. So every single time you mouth thanks, every single time you rejoice in God, every single time you just say, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. Our brain, the structure, the physical structure of our brain is rewired. Now, why is that important? Well, in time, when you practice gratitude, 
your brain will automatically, think of channels that are cut into your brain. Every time you choose gratitude, that channel gets deeper and deeper. Well, in time, it's actually going to affect your outlook and your perspective, and you can arrive at this place where, like Paul, you could be in the most miserable circumstance, going through horrific things, and yet your soul is breathing in awareness and gratitude to God. Science shows us that gratitude increases contentment. Now you compare that to its opposite, discontent. When you live a, a chronically discontent life, when you're, when you're not grateful, well, what does that do? It robs you of the beauty of what you do have. You're, you're constantly looking past what you do have for the, for the next best thing. And it makes you frustrated by what you don't have. Um, there, there's this Danish philosopher, his name is Søren Kierkegaard. And he wrote a book called Works of Love. In that book, there's a fascinating parable about a man, two men actually, who were commissioned by the king to paint a beautiful person. And they're given money to do this, they're given time to do this. And yet the response of these two different artists was really, really significant. One artist, he said, okay, if I'm gonna paint a beautiful person, then I need to travel far, I need to visit all these cities, and I'm gonna spend years trying to find, quote, the perfect person. And so he went out, visited all these places, traveled thousands of miles. But after years went by, he came back home and he had no painting because in his mind, there was no perfect person. The other artist, though, decided to stay home and he had no problem finding someone to paint. Why? Because he recognized beauty in everyone. And I wonder how many times do we miss the beauty of what God has given us right here and right now. In our chronic quest to always try and find the next best thing, the new house, the new spouse, whatever it may be, always looking for the next thing, and yet you miss the beauty of what you do have. God has blessed you. He's gifted you. He's given you opportunities. It's right in front of you. And you choose to practice gratitude. It's like you become that second artist. You, you realize there is beauty here. There is the presence of God here. The grace of God here. Playing with your kids this afternoon. Hanging out with your roommate later drinking a good cup of coffee, enjoying laughter with friends. Those small little things are God's gift. And we practice gratitude there. Contentment in our heart begins to grow. And that's how our soul can flourish even in difficult times. Sarah Brethnock, she put it this way. Gratitude bestows reverence, allowing us to encounter everyday epiphanies those transcendent moments of awe that change forever how we experience life and the world. Point number two, how do we find the secret of contentment? Number one, practice gratitude. Number two, and this one's tough as well, the second way that we can experience this is to know that contentment is a treasure that is discovered in hard times. Again, when Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content, he, he's not bragging here. Look what I found. You haven't found it. I'm the only one. No, when Paul says, I've learned the secret, he, he's saying that contentment, it's not something that's easy in our flesh to find. It doesn't, 
It doesn't jive well with our restless human nature. It's not like you're just gonna wake up in the morning at 5 a.m. and like, oh, I'm so happy, I'm so content. It takes work, it takes practice, and sometimes the only way we can discover contentment is through the furnace, through the trial, through the pain, through the difficulty. Contentment grows often when the broken soils in our life give room for God to speak to us. I was sharing with the crew here uh, right before recording this. Um, earlier this year, my, my wife, Elisa, she was having difficulty breathing. And we, to this day, we don't know what caused it. She, she had a cough for several weeks. But then one day she was feeling really, really sick and I took her to the hospital and they immediately put her in, in the emergency center because one of her lungs had completely collapsed. And so she goes into surgery, which led to another surgery, which led to complications and more complications. And there was a time we, we just didn't know what was gonna happen. It was really dire. For over two weeks, we're, we're there trying to figure this thing out. And she was, I mean, my wife's amazing. Um, I, I saw her give birth. I, I've seen her go through some hard stuff. And yet what she went through was so painful. Like every breath would bring tears to her eyes. It hurt that much. And when she finally got out of the hospital, and to this day, she's still recovering from that. But when she finally got out and she got to go home, I remember sitting down with her and she's like, you know, I've never been so grateful for something as simple as breathing. Having gone through that, she discovered just the miracle, the beauty of breathing in, breathing out. And so often in our life, it does take tragedy. It takes hardship. It takes pain for us to understand the beauty of those things that we've taken for granted for so long. And I think one of the ways that God often breaks our grip on materialism, breaks our grip on various idols in our heart, is he allows us, in the words of David, to go through the valley of the shadow of death because it's there that we discover as well, I shall not want because he's my shepherd. He is the one that I'm looking for. But sometimes it's the valley, it's the dark places, it's the difficult places when you can hardly breathe that you encounter the grace and the goodness of God. Contentment is a treasure that is found in hard times. And finally, number three, and it's where we started with, contentment, the source of our contentment isn't like culture tells us, isn't like the Stoics taught a couple thousand years ago and are still teaching us in various ways today. The secret of contentment isn't you. It isn't found in your own resources. The secret of contentment is Jesus. You know, C.S. Lewis, he has an autobiography. He called it Surprised by Joy. And if you've never read that book, you've got to check it out. It's so good. It's so refreshing. But in that book, he, he talks about how before he was a Christian, he was always trying to find joy, like, like most of us, right? He was on this quest to try and satisfy the longings, the yearnings of his soul. And, and again, this is C.S. Lewis, just a brilliant guy. Even as a teenager, he was like super intellectual. And so in those early days before he knew Jesus, at that time he was an atheist, he's trying to find contentment. He's searching for joy. And he went through a phase where he really got into Icelandic sagas. <laughs> so that was his thing, Icelandic literature. And 
For a season of his life, he binges on it. He read as much Icelandic saga as he could get his hands on. He learned the original Norse language so he could read it in the original language and understand it. That's how much he got into it. But then he, he, he talks about this process. He said, when I went down that path, sure, it would bring me joy for a season, but then the joy would fade. And then he'd get into other things, time with friends at the pub, and he'd binge on that for a while, or music, and then he'd binge on that for a while, or poetry and binge on that. But it always left him with a gnawing, restless ache. There was something in him that was looking for contentment, but it always seemed to be outside of his grasp. Kind of reminds me of what Jesus told the woman at the well. In John 4, he said, if you drink of these waters, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the waters that I give, you will never thirst again. And this is what Lewis wrote. He said, the books or music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things are good images of what we really desire, but if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers, for they are not the thing itself, they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. For so many years, Lewis was on this quest to satisfy the restlessness that was in his heart. And he came to the decision, he came to the place where he realized it's not in more stuff, it's not in more things or sagas or music or whatever. Th those things are just an echo of a greater reality. That the reason we find some contentment in them, even if it's fleeting, is because it's pointing to something else. And what is that? It's a person, it's Jesus. He is the one that will satisfy the longings of our heart. At the deepest level, and, and this is true of every single one of us, what Lewis was longing for was more of God. To be near him, to hear his voice, to know his heart, to have a relationship with him, and that is what your heart is longing for as well. Contentment isn't just something we pursue. It's a byproduct of a life that is rooted in God. And if we get our cues from culture or circumstances or advertising, especially advertising, you know what? Contentment will elude us. But if we turn to Jesus and spend time with Jesus and learn from Jesus, we'll discover as C.S. Lewis did. We'll discover as the author of Proverbs did. We'll discover like Paul in Philippians, I have learned the secret of being content. And that's the story as followers of Jesus that we get to live in. In a time, in an age where people are so upset, divided, in, in a time where social media is so toxic, in a time where everyone's up in arms about some issue or another, where, at a time when it seems like so much of the world is just collapsing before our eyes, there is a way for your soul to flourish. There is a way for your heart to come alive. And that is by discovering and living out these words. I've learned the secret of contentment. My life is gonna be rooted in God, connected to God, 
And when he's your anchor, when he's your source, no matter what is happening all around you, your life, your soul can flourish in the way that it was meant to. This is wisdom that we need to live out and to experience and it's wisdom that is offered to you through Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus, today is an opportunity for you to give your life to him. You know, Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If you just open up your heart, I will come in and dine with you. Jesus, he promises us his presence. And today you can experience that by just opening up your heart, surrendering your life to him, inviting Jesus to be your king. Today you can choose to follow after him. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, God, that you offer us the secret of contentment. And I pray, Lord, for every single person who's watching this, especially those who are going through stuff, who are facing difficulty, who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. God, that even right now, their, their heart would experience more of your presence, more of your peace, the peace that your word promises that passes understanding. Lord, may our hearts be content in a discontent world. May our hearts be full of your presence in a world, God, that's toxic and divided. And Lord, I pray that as we go throughout our day today and our week, that your word could just live in our heart, take root in our heart, that this could be a week, Lord, where we practice gratitude and discover the secret of being content. In Jesus' name, amen.